with the character of God. The character of God. And we ought to reflect God's character. Somebody say amen. Really, in case you never know, I, I like to say this over and over because sometimes I don't think we all, I don't know if we, we like this about what the scripture says because a lot of times we just like for the word of God to tell us what we like. We want for the word of God to tell us the things that make us feel good. And so when we hear certain things, we, we, we cringe because it's not what we would prefer. And when all is said and done, all is said and done, the word of the Lord says that we're supposed to become one with Christ. We're supposed to become like him. And so that's what we're all supposed to be striving for is to become like Jesus. Yeah, one amen. Because we don't like that. Because we start thinking about the life of Christ and we said, I can't live that life. When we say one with Christ, it doesn't mean that you're going to be exactly like Christ. You will have the characteristics like he had. And that's what we want to do. I'll give you an example. The Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you can't see God and no man has ever seen God because God is a spirit. But then God says, I'm going to let you see me the best way you can. And that's why he became human. So you could see him. So you could uh, get to understand what he's like. Because you wouldn't otherwise get to understand what he's like if he remained a spirit. And so Jesus allow us to understand uh, what God is like, who he really is. How does he con conduct his life and how does he go about things? And so Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And so God's characteristics is manifested in the life of Jesus Christ. And so we're supposed to be striving to be like Jesus. We will be like him one day. That's what the Bible says. And so it seems rather challenging to just say, you know, my ultimate goal in life is to become like Jesus. You probably say that with not a lot of confidence because in your mind, I don't know, but that's what the word says. But you, you got to say it and understand it because when that trumpet is sound, you're going to become like Jesus, literally. So you better just start getting to it in the natural saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm striving to be like Jesus. And I don't have to be afraid to say I'm striving to be like Jesus because what we allow to happen is we, we worry about um, our failures and our shortcomings and we saying, I, I, I can't be like Jesus. And, and, well, all of those things that you think and God is saying, no, you're still supposed to strive to be like me. So we're going to reflect or take on this particular character tonight of the Lord. I hope when we're done, if we don't already have it, we will have this character of God. And so we're going to talk about tonight refusing prejudice. Refusing prejudice. This wouldn't be... Uh, 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 a Bible topic if it didn't happen in the Bible. 
And so prejudice didn't just come about in this in these recent times, but prejudice has been around a long time, even in Bible times. Somebody say amen. Perhaps you could you you couldn't find a better story that deals with prejudice and refusing to be prejudiced like this story I'm going to share with you tonight. Dutch watchmaker Corin Ten Boom, a Christian Holocaust survivor who helped save some 800 Jews from the Nazis during World War II. So we'll look at that story a little bit tonight. This Corey Ten Boom was a brave woman. She she was able to do some things that some of you you and I couldn't could only dreamed of. Her her uh, courage and and bravery was duly noted as you read about her. So after sharing her experiences during a talk in Germany in 1947 she came face to face with a man who had been one of the most cruel guards at Ravensbrück concentration camp for those of you that don't know um, we know we've heard about Hitler and Hitler was on a mission to kill every Jew He wanted to wipe out that entire culture. And at the time, there was about 9 million Jews in Europe. And Hitler was so set on trying to destroy the Jewish nation that he got 6 million of them killed. And so many others arrested and placed in a concentration camp. He was not just trying to make Jews extinct, but if he didn't like your religion, he tried to destroy you. Uh, If he didn't like your lifestyle, he tried to destroy you. He believed that the Germans were the superior culture in the world and that they should be the ones on top. And so Hitler spent a lot of his life trying to destroy the Jews. And so the ones, some were killed and some were put in concentration camps. Some died in the concentration camp. And so you have this lady, Corey Ten Boom. She was not a Jew. Um, as a matter of fact, I think um, she, was, um, she was Dutch. And even before she um, started going around doing talks, she was trying her best to hide the Jews from all the Nazi um, Hitler folks so they would be spared from being killed. And so she just always had a heart for people. She was a Christian, obviously, and as Christians, we should have a heart for people. But she would try her best to hide the Jews, but one day she herself got arrested Um, by the Nazis, and so she was placed in a concentration camp. And so later on, she was free, and she started giving speeches about her experience. And so this is what we're reading about, is her experience or experiences that she 
um, had from all of those things that transpired. So after she was done giving her speech, she noticed this uh, one guard that she said was most cruel while she was at the concentration camp. Now, he was in front of me, this is her talking, hand thrust out. He said to her, a fine message, Fraulein, which is to say or to address her as an unmarried German woman. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so profoundly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. So she had just given a, a speech uh, about forgiveness, how the Jews should forgive the Nazis. She had just given a, a speech about how important forgiveness really is. And so this guard came after hearing her eloquent, profound speech on forgiveness and says, heard you spoke, how wonderful, so glad he had his hand stretched out. But this guard was one of the guards in the concentration camp that was keeping Jews and other people in there to just keep them from being free. And so he stretched out his hand to shake her hand, and she had just got done talking about forgiveness, and now she was struggling to stretch her hand back out to shake his hand. I was face to face with one of my captors, she says, and my blood seemed to freeze. The guy, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, the man said. I was a guard there, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sin had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place, that concentration camp. Shaking his hand doesn't seem to be able to erase my sister's slow, terrible death. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Our lesson is not about forgiveness tonight. Our lesson is about refusing prejudice but re to understand that we have to also understand forgiveness and 
we struggle sometimes with forgiveness, but the bottom line is we can't erase that out of the Bible, that if we don't forgive, we can't be forgiven. And the way how we forgive, to try to play it off like, well, I forgive them, but put my glasses back on. Because if we want to get into, you're getting ready to see this anyway. Let, let's keep moving here because we, we say we forgive people, but we put a but in there. Not messing with them no more, though. Okay. And so I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of our will. We got to realize that's why God gave us a will. That sometimes when you don't feel something, you got to will it. I preached about that before. You got to will yourself to do something. You don't have to feel it. But if the Bible says that you have to do it, then you got to will yourself to it. That's like sometimes coming to church and you don't feel like praising God, will yourself to praise. You come to church and you don't feel like worshiping, will yourself to worship. God gave us a will so when we didn't feel like doing something, we could make ourselves do it. And this woman didn't feel like forgiving this man. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. We let the devil cross us up and think, well, you don't feel like it. You don't feel it, so because you don't feel it, why do it? I got to feel it to do it. Faith don't work with feelings. So she prayed, Jesus, help me. I guess I could lift my hand up. Can I just do that much to lift my hand up to his hand? Jesus, you will supply me with the feelings. And so, woodenly, mechanically, she thrusts her hand into the one stretched out to her. That guard, her captor. And as I did that, she said, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down to my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. She said she felt a current from her shoulder go down into her hand. And with both the hands joined together, she said it produced this feeling in her hand. It, 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 it made them clutch their hand. She says, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing down tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands the former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. As a Christian who risked her life to protect the lives of Jews, Corey Ten Boom refused prejudice, and she did so again when she chose to forgive 
former Nazi from the concentration camp. Listen, God is so, he, he, he just, he's all-knowing. And we need to not be ignorant to the word of God. And I don't mean understand everything about the word of God. I mean understand that God has a purpose for everything he tells us to do. And so no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, he knows what he's talking about. And that's why he says you got to forgive because forgiveness will heal you. The scriptures letting us know, this, this story of this lady is letting us know that you can be sick in your body and you don't know why you're sick. And it could simply just be because you're walking around with unforgiveness. And until you forgive, that sickness will hold you hostage. And it's not until you genuinely forgive that your body will become healed just by you forgiving. Nobody touching you, no medicine, but just doing what God says. And you can be healed. This is heavy because this, listen, her sister was in the concentration camp with her and her sister died. The Nazis holding them hostage. You can't leave and treat them bad. Sister died. Family died. All the people she tried to take care of, they died. And this guard that was instigating and a part of all of it is now saying, will you forgive me? It is impossible to be a true Christian and harbor prejudice in your heart. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom was a real Christian woman. She couldn't harbor prejudice. Somehow we think sometimes that when people are prejudiced against us, we're allowed to be prejudiced against them. We think we have the right to be prejudiced against those that are prejudiced against us. Well, only if you're not a Christian, that's legit. But if you're a Christian, you can't be prejudiced against anybody, not even the ones that are prejudiced towards you. In the second chapter of his letter to the 12 scattered tribes, James continued his discussion of vain versus pure religion, which began in James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion is concern about the poor, and in pure religion, there is no prejudice. We can't say we're Christian men and women and young people and children and be prejudiced against anyone. To give preferential treatment to those of high social status flew in the face of everything Jesus taught and practiced on the subject of social relationship. So, even though we know we shouldn't be prejudiced, on top of that, Maybe you say you're not prejudiced, but what you don't want to do also is 
give preferential treatment to people. Nothing wrong with honoring people. But preferential treatment means you're going to treat somebody one way and treat somebody else another way. We can't give preferential treatment. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, (laughs) if you do that part right, sometimes people in church fail to examine themselves because they think because people treat them a certain way that they're good. But the problem is, or what's going on is, if we're being real Christians, we ought to treat everybody the same. So there are people in the church that might be a certain way and then other people might be a certain way and you try to treat people different. God don't accept that. Everybody gets treated the same way. The Bible talk about heaping coals on people. And there's a lot of different interpretation of that, but I still feel like one of the interpretation is when someone is treating you wrong or doing wrong, but you treat them good. Boy, they they singing deeper and deeper in Christ. They don't know. They're singing deeper and deeper in quicksand. When someone is treating you bad and you're treating them good, but they insist, they think they're taking advantage or they think they're getting over or they're not treating you right, but you continue to treat them right. They don't understand what's going on. That's what the Bible talk about as heaping coal on their head, mama. Heaping coal on their head. Because when God go to judge them, they're in serious trouble because God is going to say, so let me know, um... Why were you treating them that way? Well, um, no justification. Not that it was going to stop you from the judgment, but no justification. And and we'll see a little later on. God will dis, will, God will determine who He will have mercy on. And, and I believe the justification usually is how God weighs the mercy. So you. Being treated right but treating everybody wrong, man, your mercy is going to be very little. But you treating people the way you feel like treating them, and they're treating you good. That's scary to think about because your mercy, very little. This lesson is not meant to scare you. Don't, so don't let it, it it's, it's meant to help you because we don't talk about this much. And plus, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to teach this lesson so you have biblical foundation to how you handle things. Because I don't like to go anywhere and hear people talk about different races. It drives me crazy. Because... What I know and understand, and I may be jumping ahead of myself, is preferential treatment and prejudice is called S-I-N. That's all it is. But when we single it out, oh, they prejudice. Well, yeah, and you steal things. They prejudice. Yeah, and you sell drugs. Oh, they prejudice. Yeah, and you talk about people, and you gossip. Same thing to God. Same thing to God. So we can dress it up and call it the name that we want to call it, or be smart and say, we got to pray that people get delivered from sin. 
We got to pray for them to get delivered from sin. I'm not saying we got to pray for them to stop being prejudiced. No, let's pray that they will be delivered from sin. Pray that they get a close relationship with God. Pray that they get a revelation from Christ and walk right and talk right and live right. That's what we need to pray, not focus on their prejudice. And we can go in so many different cultures and it's so much prejudice because people re- uh, respond to prejudice with prejudice. I see it all the time. And it and, and just, I shake my head because we want to justify it. Hmm. The gospel is passionately concerned with equalizing the value of all human beings. The poorest man is worth as much in the eyes of God as the richest. Mm-hmm. Those who have faith in God must demonstrate that faith by valuing poor equally with the rich. We can't value a rich person more than we value a, pers- a poor person. That's not how God does it. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ does not mix or come with prejudice. We can't say we have faith. And be prejudiced. That's that's not going to work for Jesus. Those who recognize the deity of Christ and whose faith is in him are not to exercise their faith with partiality. Uh huh. James chapter 2. Let's read some of that a little bit. James chapter 2. Refusing to be prejudiced. I refuse. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care how anybody treats me. I refuse to be prejudiced. James chapter 2 verse number 1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there came in also a poor man in vile remnant, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, had not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, uh, can you underline that? Can you make a note of that? But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. So if, 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 if you only, or if you show favoritism to your race, 
and not other race, you commit sin. It's not just your own people you're treating differently because this one is rich and this one is poor. But also, too, if you treat people different because of different race, the Bible says you commit sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressor. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one, he is guilty of all. For he said that do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. You see why it's important that we just mind our own space and mind our own business? Because we might all sin differently, but we all transgressing against the law. That's what the Bible says. So speak ye. And so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that had showed no mercy. So when God decides to judge us, if we didn't show mercy, we know, do we know what mercy means? We know what mercy means? Right? You, you get judged in sentence. According to the law, but then all of a sudden mercy comes up and say, hold on. I know this is supposed to warrant you 20 years in the concentration camp. But I'm only going to give you two years in the concentration camp. You deserve 20. But I'm only giving you two. That's what mercy does. And so the Bible says if we don't show mercy... No mercy will be shown to us. You know what that means? It means when you mess up, God not taking it easy on you. That's what it means. So if we don't treat people with mercy, then when we mess up, no mercy coming your way. God is coming with the strong hand on you. Remember I told you I always pray the prayer? God, I know what I deserve. Or God, I know that I deserve whatever you say I deserve. But will you be merciful? to me regarding how you judge me for what I've done. Will you be merciful to me, Lord? Because whatever you determine that I deem, whatever you deem that I should receive, I'm just asking for some mercy with that. And if I'm going to go before the Lord, Bob, asking for mercy, I better show other people mercy. And so he says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that showeth no mercy. So this is what I just told you. So if you decide that you're going to hold everybody to the letter of the law, you ain't right. I saw what you did. It's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Hold them to the letter of the law. But just know this. When your time comes, oh, it's going to be tough for you. I can think of one situation right now in my head. People that hold people to the letter of the law. And when they time come, it's not pretty. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. So what that means is a lot of times what you're supposed to receive because of what you did, the mercy of God caused you not to receive what you deserve. So mercy is powerful. But if you want to make sure you get some mercy, you better start showing some mercy to other people. Mercy don't mean 
I don't tell you where you're wrong. I don't want you to get that twisted. Mercy don't mean I don't point out something that you may have done because the bottom line is if I love you, I don't want you to stay in your sin. So I'm going to tell you about it, but I'm going to tell you with love. I'm going to tell you with my arms around you. I'm going to tell you and, and how to move forward to get past it. I'm going to tell you in love. But I'm not going to just, oh, they'll be all right because God is merciful. You can't do that because then they, they stay in sin. It's like, it's like I told you about the story about the Lord told a preacher one time, says, preacher, my people are blessed. I see you all praising and worshiping me. But you're going to make them curse. And he said, what are you talking about? You haven't taught them about tithes and offering, preacher. And so while they're enjoying the praises and giving me the praise and all that, they're cursed. Their finances are, are you know, bound up. They're cursed. Until you teach them about finances, they're cursed financially. And so the bottom line is, we got to make sure people are free. And how we make people free is only one way. Only the truth. So if I see you stuck in something and I don't tell you the truth, I'm leaving you bound. I don't love you. Spirit and rod, spoil the child. We got to make corrections, but it's how we correct. Old school, when you used to get beatings back in the day, man, you just get, we, parents used to beat with their eyes closed. Wherever it land, it land. That wasn't the right way, but that was the way. <laughs> oh, we come to know Christ, we got to know, you got to have some controls in there. Can't just just beat with your eyes closed. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Can't do that. The rich and the poor to whom James referred were distinguished not only by the gold ring of the rich, but also by their clothing. The rich man wore fine apparel while the poor man wore filthy clothes. The emphasis is not so much on the discrepancy between the outer appearance of the two men as on the prejudice of those who were partial. So the issue is not the rich man being rich. The issue is not the poor man being poor. The issue is not them coming in looking different. The issue is when we treat them different. That's the issue. So God didn't say... Oh, the rich dude, he's flaunting his gold ring and flaunting his nice gay clothing. And the poor man, man, he smells. Man, God didn't say that. He just said what they had on. But the people treated them differently for what they had on. And so the emphasis was on the treatment, not on the clothes. Those who are rich in faith may be poor in finances, even to the extent of lacking sufficient clothing and food. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. They need something to provide food and clothing to give them food. Those who are able to do so but refuse 
to demonstrate that your faith is dead. So instead of we talk, we need to show some action. So somebody walk in this door tonight and they look like they have on some smelly clothes and not doing good. Instead of you talk about them, you take them to get something to eat after church. <laughs> Instead of you talk about them, you take them to get some nice clothes to put on so they, have, they don't have to be smelly. That's what we're supposed to do because we're going to refuse to have preferential treatment. We're going to refuse to be prejudiced. In Matthew 22, Jesus identified the two greatest commandments. The two greatest commandments prohibits idolatry and prejudice. The two greatest commandments prohibit idolatry and prejudice. Let's take a look in Matthew 22:34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The six, 613 commandments in the law, these two commandments were not listed in them. They were not listed in them. These two commandments have to do with relationships. First with God and then with other people. To have the right relationship with God eliminates the possibility of idolatry. The reason why we won't have right relationship with God, the number one reason will be idolatry. What do you mean by that, preacher? Whatever has your attention the most is your God. So that's idolatry. So if your car has your attention the most, if your job has your attention the most, if your relationship with someone has your attention the most, if your money has your attention the most, if your church has your attention the most, if your pastor has your attention the most, and you can go on and on, whatsoever has your attention the most is your God. Idolatry. That takes you out of right relationship with God. So we got to ask ourselves, what does have my attention the most? <laughs> Not as simple as you think. Because when, when something has your attention the most, it kind of controls everything that you do. When something has your attention the most, it controls everything that you do. Mm-hmm. There is no room for other gods. The second commandment prohibits prejudice, for it calls for loving others as ourselves. You see what I mean? By all we're doing is sinning when we have when, when, when we prefer people 
and when we, uh, uh, and we are prejudiced, it's just a sin. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you're going to hate another nationality, if you're going to hate another group of people, you're messing up the second commandment, the, great, the, 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 the royal law commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we're in serious trouble with God when we're prejudiced. And there are people that say they're Christians that are prejudiced. It's unfortunate. But that's why this subject gets taught. So I pray to God all the prejudiced people will hear this lesson. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I got a call from somebody today, or a text message and then a call. And they said, I do my walk every day and I listen to the podcast. Listen, Tony, Tony, you're like this. The person said, I do my walk every day and I was listening to the podcast and I bust out laughing. So I just text you before I called you. Guess what she bust out laughing when I said? Y'all better go to Tony because he's the Thursday night Bible study promotions director. She said she cracked up laughing. <laughs> oh, you never know who's listening. Yeah. See Tony for Thursday night Bible study promotions. She heard that on the um, thing when she was taking her walk the other day. That was my sister-in-law. Oh, Elaine is funny. The second commandment pro- prohibits prejudice. Okay? We got to love everybody. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter what they, where they come from. We got to love everybody. Remember I told you one of my pet peeves is... um. Our organization have different ministries to reach different nationalities, and they mean well by that. I can't talk bad about our organization. I love our organization. They mean well by it. But in my opinion, I don't know. Maybe they'll say they try to study the culture. I don't know. But in my opinion, Bob, the Lord says to love your neighbor as yourself, and that trumps every kind of coaching, teaching, Strategy, whatever you want to do, nothing can trump loving people because God said it. So all I got to do is just love people if I'm trying to reach them for the Lord. All I got to do is just love people wherever I go, and that will be enough. I don't have to uh, uh, have a conference to teach you how to reach a certain kind of nationality. I don't have to do that. I don't care where you are. If I show love to somebody that's totally different from me, they'll feel that love. What did that woman say? She was Dutch, and this dude was German. And she said when she shook his hand, he felt her love. She felt his brother and sister love. The blood started flowing. The power of God moved. Boom. You don't need no special thing to let people know. They know if you love them. And they know when you don't love them. I got to throw that one in there. They they know when you love them. Because remember I told you a long time ago that we don't really realize. I realized this some years ago. I said, man, God, you showed me some interesting thing. There's spirit behind your words. Amanda, there's spirit behind your words. So whatever you say, the spirit goes with it. But here's the trick. I can say, I love you. And if I don't love you, the spirit of love didn't travel with it. So then the individual know, yeah, they said it, but whatever. They don't love me. 
the person know. But then also, a person could look you in the eye and say, I really love you. And they felt it. They could have gave him a kiss when they said it because they felt it so strongly. It just, spirit comes behind your words. Don't ever forget that. That's a revelation God gave me. And so you're fooling yourself and you're messing with yourself when you try to say something, but you really don't mean it. (laughs) You're only messing yourself up. And for me, I've become an expert on letting you say what you think you want to say and act like, okay. And you don't even really know. I just know you just lied your face off or you just said something ridiculous or whatever. I just smile. Okay. God has helped me to be that way. And I'm sure there's other people like me. So it ain't just me that do that. I'm sure there's other people. I'm sure there's other people that do that, that you say some baloney stuff and they just smile and go with it. But they know because no spirit came with it. Because you can't fool people. You think you can. Especially not in the church. And the only time we get fooled is when we're not paying attention. But if we're paying attention, we won't get fooled. You're only fooling yourself by saying something that you really don't mean. The rich, poor. Is it possible to be rich and poor simultaneously? Yes. If we define rich in connection with materialism and poor with spirituality. The word of the Lord says in 1 John 3 and 17, but whoever, this is in the New King James Version, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? I'm still on this. I don't know why I'm still on this. Well, the Holy Ghost is making me still on this. So, be honest in what you say to people. And if you can't be honest, just don't say anything at all. Because people know a lot of times what's going on with you, what you're saying to be not true, or what you're saying, and it's just, you're just saying it, and they're just being Christians, or they're just listening They respond in a certain kind of way just to be cordial, but they know. Don't make yourself look silly. Just don't say anything at all if you don't feel it, and it's not something that you really believe. And if it's not something that you're standing behind, just don't say it. Just don't say it. Because people will know. I know for sure I know. I say less, a whole lot less than what I know when I have conversations. A whole lot less. Because the Bible says, quick to hear. So I know a whole lot more than I say. Sometimes I get a little chuckle sometimes when someone decides to tell me something and I'm smiling because they're finally telling me something I always knew. (laughs) In my mind, I chuckle. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I I, I kind of knew that because the Holy Ghost is real. The Holy Ghost is real. What is racism? The old 
English Oxford Living Dictionary offer these def definitions. Race, racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. And so when you make your race superior, I, I had to catch myself the other day. When I, when I read that definition, I catch myself the other day. Because I went to the um, doctor, the allergist the other day, and they, you know, they try to make some, you know, they put the stuff on you to figure out if the bump come up and this and that. And they had put one thing that wasn't to see if you have allergy, but it's to see if you, you can, your skin will res respond to something. I don't know. But they put it on, and I wouldn't respond. They say, why are you not responding? But we can see that you're allergic to, you know, rye weed, and we can see that you're allergic to grass. And But you're not, it, it didn't say that you, um, you know, you, you, you have allergies, something like the sort. You know what I told them? I said, that's because I'm Jamaican. <laughs> so when I'm studying the teacher, I said, oh, God, I got to make sure they understand that when I say I'm Jamaican, it just means I can handle any kind of situation. I can't make my I can't try to make my race my culture more superior because we're not. Ooh, caught myself that day. I said I got I got to make sure people understand that when I say it, it means I can deal with any kind of situation. When I say I'm Jamaican, brother Bob, it just means I can deal with anything. I've seen a lot, experienced a lot. I just feel like I can deal with anything. So when I say I'm Jamaican, that's because I'm Jamaican. It's not because I'm making my culture superior. I'm just saying I can deal with anything. Yeah, I can say that sometimes, but every once in a while I got to, you know, say I can deal with the, the, the rugged situations. Praise man. But it's true. You know, I didn't, and here's why the thought came to. I didn't have allergies back home in Jamaica. So that's, that's another reason why it was messing with me. I said, well, I said, I said, anytime I hit the Caribbean, I'm good. Even Florida. I give Florida a little bit of credit. Even, even when I go down to Florida, I, 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 allergies don't mess with me. But sure enough, every allergy season from as soon as February comes, here come allergies in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. The biblical account of Peter's visit. Let, listen to this. Let's look at, um, we're going to finish up real quick. Is it possible for a spirit-filled person to struggle with the sin of racism? The biblical account of Peter's visit to Cornelius suggests that it is. Peter had some prejudice in him, okay? First, Peter's refusal to eat food defined by the law of Moses as unclean, even though he was commanded to do so by the voice of God in a vision, anticipates his attitude towards Gentiles. So Peter had an attitude towards Gentiles. We know that anyway, that the Jews had an attitude against the Samaritan and the Gentiles. Okay? So Peter had an attitude against other culture. Second, when Peter met Cornelius, he said, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another's nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Third, Peter said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You can read all of Acts chapter 10. 
through the whole Peter and Cornelius experience. Oh, man, you could never get enough of that whole story there. It's just powerful how it all worked. God had to send Peter to a Gentile house, and he prepared Peter so Peter's prejudice will, will purge and come out of him. Peter's visit to Cornelius was a defining moment of change for Peter. He now recognized that God made no distinction between people based on their nationality, which is often referred to as race. Can I tell you something? In, in, in reading this and thinking about it, God is good. We say it all the time, and I say it every week I stand before you. But we don't know how good he is. So listen, Cornelius, when you read it, you'll see. Cornelius was a faithful Christian man. The Bible called him devout. But he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name, and he didn't have the Holy Ghost. So that's scripture where I've learned that because you're not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, don't mean you're not a Christian believer. It just means the process is still working. The process is still in motion. Go look at the Bible. I know apostolic sometimes get a little uncomfortable with certain things. But I'm telling you, the Bible called Cornelius a devout man of God. And so Cornelius, alms every day, prayed every day, treat people right, did all the Christian things. But he didn't have the Holy Ghost, and he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. I can swing the other way and also tell you that no matter how godly, how righteous you are, you got to be baptized in Jesus' name. You got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because Cornelius, if there was such a thing to just don't worry about that, Cornelius didn't have to worry about that. Because that dude was just top-notch Christian. So if, they, if God wanted us to not worry about baptism in Jesus' name, Cornelius wouldn't be baptized. I'm telling you. Go and read about Cornelius. That dude was stellar without being baptized, without having the Holy Ghost. And so he didn't have the Holy Ghost. He wasn't baptized. And so God wanted him to be baptized. And filled with the Holy Ghost. So you had Cornelius over there needing something from the Lord. You had this apostolic powerhouse, Peter, over here, fasting and praying, walking on water, just a man, full of the power. Didn't know he needed something, but he needed something, Tony. He was prejudiced, and, and, it, and it was in him, and it needed to come out of him. So God gave him this vision all this stuff and showed him and prepared him so he can get this prejudice out of Peter. And so God set up a meeting between a man that needed something that Peter had, but also a man that had something Peter needed. And when you look at God, just like what we listened to tonight, God is always bringing us together to bless one another. None of us is superior. None of us have it all. We need one another. Cornelius needed Peter, but Peter needed Cornelius. <laughs> That's how it works. And when we are dealing with God, you are not superior. And because you might know about being born again of the warden of the spirit, it doesn't matter who you run into. You need them too, whether they save or unsaved. Because sometimes the unsaved is there to rub you a certain way to see if you really love your neighbor as you love yourself. We need each other. I don't care if they're not living for God. If God bring them into your life, it's because they, that you need something from them. So you can give them something, 
and they can give you something. Can't no sinner do nothing for me. Okay. So that's how some Christians talk, too. You know, like, yeah, they won't lie to you. Can't no Christian, no sinner do nothing for me. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're self-centered. And you think you all that in a bag of chips. And you got some prejudice and some partiality working in you. And until you treat that sinner with some love as you love yourself, you got to get that out of you. We're walking around like we got it all together. And we got stuff, mess, that God is trying to clean up and we keep on pushing back on God. Like God don't know what he's doing. And so... He now recognized that God made no distinctions between people based on their nationality, which is often referred to today as race. Since God filled Gentile and Jews with the same Holy Ghost, indicated by the same sign, speaking miraculous or miraculously in languages of even other nationality. Do you know that when you receive the Holy Ghost, you can speak a heavenly language or you can speak a different nationality language? Did you know that? So when you're speaking in tongues, it don't mean that you're always speaking a heavenly language. It means you're speaking a language not known to you. So when you speak in other tongues, and that's the sign of the Holy Ghost, you could be speaking a heavenly language, but you could be speaking Greek. You could be speaking Russian. You could be speaking something else, Egyptian, whatever it is. But you could be speaking another language. And so it's amazing how we're trying to be prejudiced against one another and God make us speak one another's language. Oh, sometimes just so far off when you think about who God is and who, you know, how we perceive him and what we perceive we're supposed to be in God. But God used languages. As a sign that we have his spirit. And that language could be any language God decides he will allow you to speak when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There is no basis to claim superiority for any race. In the final analysis, there is but one race. The human race. All humans being descended from one man. Adam and one woman, Eve. There is no superiority in skin pigmentation or language. Racism is a sin. Uh, let's finish up here. First Timothy 6, 8 through 10. New King James Version. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which, draw, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows and so our riches our material things that we have will lead us away from God we don't realize that the more stuff we have the more decisions we have to make 
Uh-huh. The more decision you have to make, the more you leave out God. I had a simple, simple experience with that the other day, and I'm just like, this is crazy. I mean, you can look at it both ways, but I had some vacation, a little free vacation that I have. I'm trying to figure out when to schedule it. And I'm trying to work it with our, obviously, working with the schedule here at the church. So I'm saying, okay, I got to make sure it's, a, it's the right time. It's not a crazy time. I got to make, and I'm trying, and I can't figure out when was a good time. And so I'm dancing around and trying to schedule it, and it just wasn't working out. And then I stopped and I said, you know, I've spent about a month in total just calling and talking to the people at Marriott, trying to figure out how can I get the right time. I said, that's time I spent. I said, if I didn't have that vacation, that would, that, that's a month that I wouldn't be wasting on calling Marriott trying to figure out where I'm going. And so while you think about it, say, wow, you know, that's pretty good. You got a free vacation. Yeah, I hear you. But we got to be careful with material things because it gets you going in that area because you got to take care of it. Whatever you own, whatever you have, you have to de- do something with it, and, and that time you spend to do something with it is time spent away from God. And so we got to be careful. And that's why it says rich man, because rich man don't mean, uh, you know, what we like to think about, you know, Warren Buffett and them. All of you in here tonight rich. Yeah, I want one of you to tell me you're not rich in here. Tell me you're not rich. Tell me you're not rich so I can take you someplace and let you see what poor is. You're all rich. That's because y'all got two cars. Man, married people who used to get married, they barely got one car. They, they struggling. Y'all got two cars. Got your apartment already. Uh, we're all rich in here. And anybody think they're not rich, just let me know. I'll take you to someplace where you can see what poor is because you're not poor. And so because we have things, a lot of things, it sometimes causes us to take our focus off Christ. Contentment and materialism, I'm closing here. There is a human tendency to think we will be happier if we amass things, bigger things, newer things. This is a search for contentment in the wrong direction. Can I tell you something? The emptiness that we have sometimes that we're trying to fill, it's only going to be filled by your relationship with Christ. We can keep on searching. You can get all that you want. As I grow in life, I just realized things that I thought was important when I finally was able to get them, they wasn't important anymore. So I got my little bit of space that I understand that the things that you think sometimes, if I could just get, okay, get it, here you go. I wish I had it too to give everybody that think they need something. If I could just, okay, here you go. Let's see if that changed you. Won't change them a lick. But we like to say, if I could just, if, 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 if I could just get this, I'll be okay. No, if you could just get closer to Jesus. 
No, if you can get deeper into Jesus. No, if you can get a stronger relationship with Jesus, you will begin to feel better. You will begin to act different. You will feel encouraged. You will treat people differently. It's about the relationship with Jesus. It's not about anything else. And don't you get fooled about it and thinking if you can just get this. Remember, I told you uh, last Sunday, your worst of days is your best of days. Because that's when you come to see Jesus. That's when you come to put your eyes on him. Uh, that's when you come to get revelation. Uh, that's when you come to get understanding. Uh, that's when you go deeper in him. Uh, is in your worst days, not in your best days. Our best days make us put him on the side to watch us enjoy what he gave us. That's what we do on our best days. Chill right here, God. Chill right here. I'm going to go over here and do my thing. I'm going to do do my thing with what you gave me. I'll be back. And I go do my thing. But in your worst of days, you all in with Jesus. The worst times that you can ever think of in your life, if you were a Christian, you're thinking about God. Even when you wasn't a Christian, you're praying to God in your worst of days. So your worst of days is your best of days. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever think that you need things to make you feel better or make things work out for you. That will be your worst of days when you have everything you need. When all the stuff that you desire you have, those are your worst of days. The temptation that we experience most of the times is because we have the opportunity to get whatever we want. The temptation to oppress in his rebuke to those who showed partiality to the rich. James wrote, do not the rich oppress you, drag you into courts. What could have been their motive to give the rich preferential treatment unless it was the vain hope of gaining some advantage? So here's some insight in that scripture in James. And it still goes on today. It makes no sense to keep giving to the rich. But our world does that. I watch how athletes come. Everything on the house. These are millionaires athletes going to your restaurant and it's on the house. And we keep on treating the people that have it. We keep on giving them more. That's idiotic. Solomon called that stupid in my language, not Solomon's language. It it makes no sense that we keep giving to the rich and keep putting more to them, giving more to them. But guess why we do it? We do it for our very own gain. When that athlete come to your restaurant, your establishment, and you give him free food, guess what? You want him to go say you gave him free food. So now when people hear that that athlete was in your restaurant, now everybody comes. So you're going to make money just because he ate there and you gave him free stuff. So when we try to act like we're trying to treat people a certain way, a lot of times we have hidden motives because we want something special. We want to be special. So let me treat this special person extra special so I can get something out of the deal so they can mention me. Even in church movement, I see people trying to kiss up to what we deem as popular people in the movement so they can say, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Yep, that's what we do. That's what we do. We get around certain kind of people 
all because we're looking for something out the deal. We don't act like that's what it is. Sometimes we even act like we try to be humble and we're trying to be good Christians. Yeah, you know, trying to tell Tony, you the best, you the best. But all along, you hoping that one day Tony will do something to return you some good favors. You ain't doing it because you loving Tony as yourself. Because that's what we're supposed to do, love our neighbors ourselves. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because we're looking for something else. So James rebuked these people for treating the rich people differently from the poor because back then the rich people, okay, were the ones that give out loans. And they were the ones that determined, it's still today going on, and they were the ones that determined the interest rate. So maybe if I treat you real good, and I have to come to you for a loan, I'll get a low interest rate. Still being selfish. Still trying to get our own gain. So we're setting it up where, well, maybe I'll get something out of the deal. The rich, the Bible says, the rich will exploit you. But we're still trying to give them stuff. The temptation for blasphemy in a further question about why his readers gave preferential treatment to the rich. James asks, do they not blaspheme that noble name which you are called? So a lot of times, why we rich people don't really serve God because their security is in their material things. And so why are we going to try to give them preferential treatment when they come into our congregation? Why? Huh? Because because their deal is they're just there probably just to show up for some reason. They're not there because they're coming for God. A lot of times they're just coming because they want to see what's going on. And we say, oh, come sit right here at the front, you rich person, because we can get something from you later, hopefully. And so they don't reverence the name of Jesus like we do. This was a behavior for which the rich were known at the time because they exploited the poor and the poor were just trying to get as much as they can. Some rich people tend not to only take advantage of their wealth to oppress others, but they also ridicule genuine faith in God. Their confidence in their riches is so complete that they not only refuse to trust God themselves, but they also actively speak evil against God. No rationale can defend showing favoritism to the rich because their riches, when the rich are just as likely, if not more so, to mistreat others and reject God. Favoritism is a sin. Prejudice is a sin. Any questions? Any, anybody have any question about things? Uh, Sister Haskell, you used to have a question before you got married. I, I guess you're trying to obey that scripture that says, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be silent now, huh? You're going to be silent. You, you, when you used to ask questions, no husband, now you got a husband, you'll just ask him when you get home? Uh, I called her out, huh? I call, but, but it's not like her husband knows she, he knows she like to talk. She like to ask questions, but she somehow got silent on us after she got married. A- any, anybody else with questions? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm going to know. Yeah. First of all, I got first, first of all, I got the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will make me know things. But secondly, as I said, whatever we say, listen, there's a reason why 
cops can sit you down and have you talk and look in your eyes and know if you're lying or not. They don't know why. They only know the, the tendencies. Did you blink five times? They just know the tendency. But I just gave you biblical stuff. The spirit behind your words. Yes, sir. Ah, oh, see, I knew the Lord wouldn't give me a revelation and not give me a scripture. Give me the scripture. Go ahead. Uh-huh. 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 Yes. Yes. Because here is what the scripture is telling us. Man's spirit and man's spirit is familiar. So don't try to trick my man's spirit. Just like I'm not going to try to trick your man's spirit. Because man's spirit, no. We, we've been in this earth and we understand. So we know when we're lying to one another. So we can try to fool, but we know when we're lying to one another. Because man's spirit, bear. now the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, knows everything. Know the spirit of man and know the spiritual things. But when it comes down to us, we know each other's spirit because human spirit, human spirit can, can know itself. So, so that's what I'm saying, Tony. So we, we not hide nothing. So between my human spirit and my Holy Ghost, oh man, tough. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, from the very day we set out in this church, we said we want to be a diverse church. We want to be a church of multinationality, Lord. We say we want to be a church with people from every nation, every kindred, every tongue. Lord, we want